Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Hey everyone, it's Amber Wahid and welcome to the Experts in Dubai show. Having a will in place in their country of origin is regarded by many experts as essential planning when they move to live and work abroad, offering peace of mind in the event of a tragedy. However, many non-Muslim experts in Dubai are unaware that in the absence of a legally registered will in the UAE, the process of transferring assets after death can be extremely time-consuming, costly and fraught with legal complexities. This could mean that assets accumulated during their time in the UAE may not go to their loved ones as they would have intended. It's a huge emotive topic and this pandemic is a reminder of the importance of having a will in place. Losing a loved one in particular during difficult times like today is already hard enough without having to deal with the bureaucratic hurdle of frozen assets and the like. Having a will drastically simplifies the process and provides a clear roadmap for the authorities and the families. The UAE is a Muslim country and the primary religion here of course is Islam. So the default law is Sharia law. That's the Islamic law that applies to family issues. If you are a Muslim and born and brought up for example in the UK, you would be subject to Sharia law. So even if you had a will in the UK, it would not apply in the UAE because here you're treated as a Muslim. So the default law applies. Non-Muslims can fall back on laws of their country, but if they have a cocktail of nationalities, multiple jurisdictions and passports within the family, which country will they fall back on? This is the backdrop of why the subject is so complex and why it is important for people in Dubai to think ahead and address them ahead of time. You may think that you have no assets, but have you considered what would happen to money in bank accounts, end of service payments, gratuity payment, death in service benefits, personal possessions and of course investments. The legal complexities for each one of them can be very challenging. Joining me today is Cynthia Trench, managing partner from local law firm Trench and Associates DMCC, who have an extensive history in this area of law and she's going to explain it to us in terms of the legal framework and what can we experts in Dubai do to protect our assets and investments. The firm is based out in JLT and is one of the most prominent law firms in the Middle East. Cynthia obtained her license in 1996 from the Rulers Office of the Dubai government as the first female expat licensed legal consultant. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, someone said to me the other day, "Where are all the lawyers? I can never find a lawyer." And I said, "Are you kidding? The 75 international law firms, 300 local law firms just in Dubai itself. It's like lawyers galore out there." <laughs> That's very true. But as uh, Shakespeare said, "Let's all kill all the lawyers first." No, just joking. <laughs> um, I think yes there's uh, definitely a huge growth in this area because When I came here in 1989, that is 32 years ago, um, there were pockets of lawyers, uh, not too many international firms and definitely very few homegrown local firms. And especially in those days, very few advocates, even the local advocates. So uh, we felt as though we were the privileged few. And we were also very lucky because at that stage, the laws in the UAE were quite simple. And um, because it's a civil code jurisdiction, you just basically rely on the printed law so you don't need to read realms and realms of 
all these um, uh, precedents and judgments and so on and so forth. So it's quite, it was quite easy for us. But now, of course, you have so many firms. Um, in the last, I would say, five years, you've seen international firms come and go. Um, and I remember back in uh, 2018, especially when there was a slight slump in the market, some of these large firms would be open in DIFC and then the next year they've gone, yes. So that was quite sad. But for the local firms, homegrown ones like myself, uh, James Berry, uh, Nita Maru, Byron James, all of us are still here and we're doing hopefully very well. While you've managed to stay the course, even throughout a pandemic, during the heart of the pandemic on the client side, did you see a spike in people's interest in getting their affairs and investments in order? Oh, definitely. Um, I would say that because, unfortunately, a uh, few of our loved ones, people, friends, contacts have unfortunately caught the COVID and some of them died. Uh, and of course, there's a huge concern by with everyone. I think I too uh, have been very um, anxious about catching COVID or what will happen when I travel. And then of course, you have a little bit more time staying at home, working from home. Um, and of course, I think some people would like to put their earphones on and rather listening to their spouse or children. And then that's when they... <laughs> they would start thinking about, oh, what shall I do with my assets? Shall I start restructuring it? Should I start looking at estate planning? And during the pandemic, and during the pandemic in 2020, the laws around this subject were amended, but did they enable home wills to be enforced? Okay, unfortunately, um, the amendments to the Civil Transactions Code and the Personal Status Law in 2020 gave the impression to a lot of people that home wills would be directly enforced uh, regardless of whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim. And I'm afraid that's not exactly true because when it comes to the passing of the law, there's the legislation, but in terms of enforcement, that's a totally different thing. And that is why I applaud the DIFC because why not only do they believe that there should be a common law system in order to enforce wills upon unfortunate demise. Uh, in terms of that, they call it good grant of probate. But also they have promulgated a fantastic one-inch thick law exactly as to what happens, how to interpret a will, what will happen unfortunately when somebody dies, what is a probate, who's the executor, who's the beneficiaries and so on and so forth. So it explains things very clearly and also because it is a common law System That means the courts, the judges, are bound by the superior court judgments and the prior judgments. So they cannot veer from it. Unlike the civil code jurisdiction, which is what Abu Dhabi and Dubai courts are about, or the rest of the UAE, they are bound by uh, the civil code legislation, but they are not bound by the superior court or the prior judgments. They're not binding. They're just persuasive. And what about Muslims? Ah, and that's the thing. Um, Sharia still takes precedence. And um, and also, if, if you look at the final print of the Article 17 of the Civil Transactions Code, it says, um, in under Article 17.5, it states, the law of the UAE shall apply to wills of the foreigner with regard to the real estate in the UAE. So you can understand that whilst you have 17.1, which says the law of the deceased, the home law, should apply, 
On the other hand, they say that the UAE law law would apply to real estate distribution. And that's why the judges get confused. And they rely then back on Article 2 of the same law, which says that the rules and principles of Islamic jurisdiction shall be relied upon in the interpretation of these provisions. And you cannot, of course, say that you're not a Muslim. So the Muslims have to adhere to their religion and therefore the laws with regard to Sharia, Sharia wills and so on would take precedence. There are actually three different types of wills available that can be executed in the UAE. Can you explain for us the options and, of course, the costs? So there are different types of wills presently available in the UAE and they are the ones uh, that I've just talked about, which is the DIFC wills. And then there's the Abu Dhabi wills. They come from the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department, ADJD. And a lot of people call it Dubai Courts wills. In fact, they're not Dubai Courts. They are from the Dubai Notary. And the major difference between these uh, three types of wills is that in the Dubai Notary or at the Dubai Notary and at the ADJD, only one person would witness the wills. You can, of course, insist on two, but most of the people wouldn't know. Uh, And whereas at the DIFC Will Service Centre, they insist that there would be two witnesses. The major practical issue, however, with regard to DIFC wills is that they are quite costly. A single will is 10,000 dirhams registration fees and a mirror set of wills for a couple would be 15,000. Whereas for uh, Dubai notary wills, it could range from 1,000 to 2,000 or more, depending on whether you have any specific legacy. And for the Abu Dhabi ADJD wills, it's 950 dirhams only. So you can understand if you were somebody who don't understand the enforcement or application of the law, you would go for obviously the cheaper. Why would there be any difference? Why is there a difference in the cost and vastly different? Um, I don't really know why they applied such difference in the fee uh, levying, um, but the difference in terms of enforcement is that there are actually no printed laws for ADJD or for the Dubai courts. So when it comes to enforcement, it's anyone's guess. And it is a civil code jurisdiction which comes back to the point that I already mentioned. That's number one. And number two is that because... They say that Article 17.1 of the new law would apply, that is your home will, yeah, or the home law would apply. So where do you come from, Amber? I'm from the UK. All right. So English law dictates how many witnesses would there be for a valid will? Two. Exactly. So when it comes to enforcement of, let's say you went to the Dubai notary and there's only one witness, the notary witness your will. And when it comes to enforcement your executor or whoever your beneficiary who wants to enforce that will will find out that it's invalid under English law. So there goes uh, the will and enforcement. The cost that you refer to, this is just the registration cost to the courts. Yeah. So um, a person will have to take into account the legal fees in drafting the will and also any translation costs on top of that. These are all additional costs. Translation if you went to the other two, but in uh, at the DIFC, you don't need to translate the will when you execute it. Okay. In your experience, which is the most popular option? 
I haven't actually have the numbers. I know that Dubai Notary and the Abu Dhabi ADJD definitely uh, they are growing, but there's lots and lots of people who still stick with the DIFC wills, and we're still as busy as always. And I would say we probably have an average of about fifty wills in two months,、uh, which is not too bad. And we're apparently one of the top firms in the number of wills that we do at the DIFC, and we're also handling probate, which is when the wills are being enforced after somebody unfortunately passes away. And the predominant nationality going to DIFC? They have taken a survey, and the majority would be Indians. Interesting.、Mm. Okay. Moving on to the will writers in the financial advisory industry, some of the financial consultants have been known to want their clients to be scared into having wills done. Is is that a fair comment? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Back in 2002, when、uh, His Highness introduced the laws with regard to allowing expatriates to own freehold property, of course, a lot of foreigners started investing their nest egg into Dubai. Lot of money start pouring and is still pouring, especially now with the easing of the visas and so on. So you have all these people investing money, and that's when the will writers and some unfortunate,、uh, unscrupulous consultants, whether they are financial or otherwise, would go aha, rubbing their hands and say, "Let's see what we can do in order to get into that scene, either by writing wills because there was no regulation at that point in two thousand two." Or by、uh, scaring them into making wills.、Um, at that time, I was flabbergasted because I saw many of these wills being unenforceable, if not all of them, because they would either be signed at the back of a cigarette pack, or somebody would actually make up something called the universal will, which is something that is laughable. Or they would then also drag these unfortunate people to go to the notary. Wherever they would be, or the embassies, even to get these wills、uh, signed and attested, but that doesn't mean that they are enforceable. So they then, unfortunately, somebody dies, then the executors or the beneficiaries would take the will to the、uh, courts, and the only place, for example, in Dubai, is the personal status court, and the judges at the personal status court will go, "What's this?" That's not something that we recognise at this stage. We will only uphold Sharia, and we will ask you for your、uh, death certificate, passport copies, and two witnesses. And the applicant will go there, and lo and behold, within three working days, out comes a Sharia succession certificate. And if you want to then uphold this dud will or whatever it was, then you have to file. A case at the court of、um, court of appeal at that point, and not only does it mean that you have to appoint an advocate, which is very costly, but it could take a long time. I remember I had this particular case where I was、um, standing at a bank and I was giving my talk on on Sharia and also that one should not be worried about Sharia because actually it's quite.、Um, Quite easy to apply for those people who know how to apply it, but I also then talked about wills and that they should be properly drawn up. And then this banker lady stood up and said, "I just want to share my personal experience. I've had my husband passed away、um, four years ago. I've had all my bank accounts frozen. 
my husband's joint bank accounts and my children's bank accounts, which was opened by my husband. They were all frozen. And after four years, they've just been unfrozen. And I've spent over 200,000 dirhams. Is that a common story here amongst expats? It's not really. If, let's say, um, you were to take an, a case where you have a couple and they have parents on each side, father, mother on each side, and they have a son and a daughter, then the Sharia heirs to that family are simply the parents, which would take one third in total in, under Sharia, the, the surviving spouse, and if it's the husband, he takes one quarter. It's, if it's the wife, she takes one eighth, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then the children will take the lion's share. The son takes two parts of the remaining and the daughter takes one part. And that simply is a very simple example of a Sharia inheritance. And most people don't know and didn't realize that Sharia succession can be finished in three working days to get the Sharia certificate. So they then go to these advocates or lawyers or whoever it may be, who unfortunately lead them down this garden path of uh, uh, implementing or enforcing this home will. And the result could have been exactly the same, because why? Most of the time, people are fortunately friendly to their in-laws, and if you're not, be friendly to your (laughs) in-laws. And the in-laws would waive their rights simply to their one-third, and therefore that's the end of the story. You know, this could all be done by a waiver and a power of attorney, notarized and legalized, and we keep on doing this. I would say I handle about 12 Sharia cases every year, and 10 out of the 12 cases are non-Muslims. So the profession itself can make things complicated? Yeah, or, or should I say the profession is actually all right. Unfortunately, certain people who don't know what they're talking about could make it, unfortunately, complicated. Because I think when people think about lawyers, they think a lawyer can do everything, employment and criminal and wills, but it's a very specialised area, isn't it? I would generally say that people do have their specialisations. So I do wills and inheritance. Somebody else would do matrimonial. So Cynthia, how can people avoid being misled from these financial consultants when they are trying to protect their investments? I am always very impressed by a client who do their own due diligence. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions. I've been contacted by a lot without consultants, without lawyers, and they come to me either directly or upon a referral, and they would say, please let me know whether I can have my home will uh, enforced upon my death, number one. Number two, I actually haven't drawn a proper will yet, what type of wills should I have? And I've answered that earlier. And if I were to draw up a will, can I just use the bog standard appendix from the uh, DIFC regulations, for example? And finally, of course, what things are there, um, what type of steps should I take in order to ensure that my will, once drawn up, would not be challenged? So those are four of the questions that I can think of. And they're all very valid. And I sometimes have huge debates and disputes with my clients. For example, one of them would say, no, I disagree with you. I am going to cover my will uh, in relation to uh, my Indian properties uh, and immovable assets. Uh, And I said, you can't do that. 
Why is that? There's something called a universal will. Remember what I said earlier. I said, no, there's no such thing. So basically, there's a private international law dictates that lex loxi, the law of the land where the asset is actually located, the immovable asset would apply. So let's say that you are now a resident here, but you've got a property in England and you've also bought a property in Dubai and you decide to open a bank account in Singapore, let's say. So what can your DIFC will cover? Your DIFC will can cover your property in Dubai and your bank account in Singapore, which is a movable asset, but it cannot cover the immovable property in the UK. It should be the English will that covers that. So that's the first thing. Secondly is, should I actually ask a lawyer to help me to draft a will? And um, if so, should I actually hunt around for a good one? Of course you can. Um, I'll give you an example of a client who's very sweet. And uh, he was asking me to draw up a will. And I think we spent uh, quite a few lunches and teas over who his beneficiaries would be and so on and so forth. And um, I then finished drafting the will and sent it to him. And then he came back to me, it's quite funny, and he said, uh, why did you leave everything to my beneficiaries? Where's that part leaving the bulk of it to me? <laughs> and I was like going, um, you'll be dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's a classic example of someone who doesn't even understand what a will is. Yeah. Yeah, so it's important to ask that question, it's important to ask a question or any question, as many as you please, about wills in general. And the last one, which is, how do you prevent even a well-drawn-up will, a DIFC will, in the right jurisdiction from being challenged? So I have a family who has got various different children involved um, and they are non-Muslims but they are all resident in the UAE. So prima facie, if they did nothing with their wills and they did no wills, then Sharia could apply. Right. You understand? So it could be said that if they didn't do a DIFC will, then the other beneficiaries who've been excluded from the DIFC will could arguably say, I challenge the will because he's made a will in preference to one of the children and not for me. So that's detrimental to my interests under Article 361 of the Personal Status Law. And usually because DIFC is very organised, they make sure everything is done properly, it's registered properly, so you can't challenge it for the fact that it's not properly registered. The only way you can challenge it is really by disputing the capacity of the person making the will. So you make sure that at the time of signing the will and thereafter, maybe annually, that you do have a medical certificate saying that person has got mental capacity whilst making his will and thereafter in terms of making other decisions. So that's important. So there's many ways, tricks of the trade. Mm. You can also put a clause in the will that says anyone who started to, to try to rebut or say that the will is, uh, is challengeable, that person is immediately taken out as a beneficiary. Right. So you can actually put uh, a clause in there. And the other thing is that if you really are that worried about the assets being in a Sharia country, 
regardless of what happens, because this is still a very young country. I know 50th anniversary shortly, but still relatively young. And therefore, if you are that worried, then put your assets outside of the UAE. And how do you do that? You're going to say to me, I don't want to move my companies. I don't want to move my bank account. Most people have their life out here. Exactly. So what you can do is you can form a holding company and you can put the holding company owned by an offshore company and then you can put a trust over it. You know, you can basically put the entire jurisdiction of local assets subject to foreign laws. So that's another way of dealing with questionable or challengeable assets. And that's fully protected? As much as you can. Um, just, going, just going back to the one witness scenario, can you share some stories of where the wills have been totally unenforceable due to the fact that there was only one witness? Oh, how many? Uh, many, many of them. Um, and unfortunately, yet again, um, I always challenge the person, even if they were a lawyer, coming to me and saying, I've managed to have a Dubai notary will. I've managed to have an Abu Dhabi judicial department will upheld and enforced. Uh, I would say, first of all, Mabruk, how long did it take you? How much did it cost? And most importantly, did you have to file an appeal? If they were to file an appeal, that would make sense because it will be taking a lot of time and it would be very, very costly. But if they say, no, it went straight ahead and everything was enforced, as was in this particular case, I questioned the lawyer. I said, send me the judgment. I would like to have a look. Unfortunately, he did. And he sent me the judgment and it was a Sharia succession certificate. <sighs> and I said, you did a waiver, didn't you? Is that what you call it? Yeah, that's what we did. So it was very annoying. So there's that case. And then there's a case at the beginning of this year where um, a family tried to enforce a Dubai notary will, especially with the uh, implementation of this 2020 amendment to the personal status law and the civil transactions code. So they tried to uphold uh, or to enforce this particular will. And the Sharia judge says, no, not in your life. And they tried again and they tried again. And now we're in November. And as far as I know, it still hasn't been enforced. Or if it has, it's gone through the appeal. It's gone through a lot of money. And they spent untold fortune in order to have it upheld. Now, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. You could have afforded all that by not you know, trying to scrimp and save. By going for the best thing. Why would you go for... I hate to say it, a Fiat Uno, um, go for Bentley. You know, just go for the best thing that there is in Dubai in order to afford you that protection. Unfortunately, I think it's just um, as old as time. We always go for the cheapest option, don't we? Thinking that we've saved a few pennies, but Maybe. we always suffer in the long run. But I find that very sad because if you're talking about a property you are spending over a million dirhams normally in order to, you know, or at least nowadays it's, it's appreciating, which is good news. So why spend 1,000, 2,000? Spend the 10,000. For us women, that means five pairs of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cynthia, the final takeaway message from this episode is... Well, first of all, make sure you ask all the right questions or ask any questions, as I said. Go to a law firm to have your will drafted. 
But finally, if your wills or your estate is actually quite complicated, not just your assets, but you have multiple children, you have multiple wives or ex-wives, present wife, and so on and so forth, and you have many different uh, assets in many different jurisdictions, then you should go for something called estate planning. And this is where financial advisors, such as, for example, I work with the Fry Group, they come in handy and they help the client to structure their financial planning. Cynthia, thank you very much for coming on the show. What's the best way for people to contact you for more information on this topic? Oh, they're welcome to contact me at my office, uh, 0435531461, or my email address, which is my initials, C for Cat, T for Tommy, and my surname, Trench, so ct at trenchlaw.com. Thank you again, Cynthia. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for listening to the show. Our thanks again to Cynthia. There's lots of information there on a very important topic for all the experts in Dubai and the UAE. We are back on Thursday with another episode in the Behind the Scenes series. See you then.